0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss.
1: Hello, Buglers. It's Nish Kumar, and I am back. Welcome to Top Stories, and today it's a classic. Not that my episode from Monday wasn't. We're all very good. Every bugle is equally brilliant. This one is by Andy, and some dude called John Oliver... It's Bugle 13, and the US President was still George W. Bush. God, that's a blast from the past. Oh. It's like getting diarrhea from eating street meat you've forgotten about. Anyway, George W. Bush was on his way back from the Middle East, where I'm sure he'd done an absolutely fantastic job, but it no way fed everything up. Top story this week, and Bush's trip to the Middle East is finally over. Uh, President George W. Bush returned back to the United States from the Middle East this week. I presume that if he is coming back, there must be peace there now. So congratulations to the former most volatile area on Earth. I hope you're enjoying your newfound peace and are busy thinking about what kind of thank you present to buy for Bush.
0: Well, it's wonderful news, isn't it, that uh, you know his Middle East tour has come to an end with... Thousands of years of God-endorsed grudges result in one carefully stage-managed whistle-stop extravaganza of attempted legacy creation. So well done, George W. Bush. And when you hear his his simple,
1: come on everyone, sort it out message, you wonder why no one's thought of that before. In, in one of his interviews there he said, I'm sure people view me as a warmonger, I view myself as a peacemaker. And to be fair to him, that is half true. Now, he, he's 50% right there, and that's already a step up from being 100% wrong. <laughs> In a speech in Abu Dhabi, Bush called
0: on the Middle East to embrace democracy and said it was the best way to defeat extremism, although recent history has shown that, in fact, democracy is the best way to elect extremism. So that may well backfire. How do you think uh, history will judge Bush's uh, little jaunt around the Middle East, John?
1: Well, he's already decided on that, because he he said this week uh, when history was written that it would judge America as having helped the world. Uh, so he's pretty much already decided on that by talking about current history in the past tense. All oh, right. <laughs> Did yeah. he actually finish that sentence? America's helped the world... Dot, dot, dot. Oh. I can't remember, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's right. To the brink of annihilation. <laughs> Taking the world by the hand, walked it up to the edge of the cliff and gone, Look. It turned out that uh, bringing peace to the region wasn't the only reason for uh, George and Condoleezza's exotic jaunt. Uh, he also wanted to, and I quote, Jawbone the Saudis into lowering oil prices. It's very nicely put, uh, because they responded to his <laughs> jawboning by not lowering their prices at all. And it seems what? that in the complicated world of oil trade, you might need a fractionally more sophisticated approach than the classic jawbone. What is jawboning, John? It sounds like some arcane sexual practice. I'm not qualified to say that. Maybe it is. You live in New York, the home <laughs> of arcane sexual practices. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I, mean, I was presuming that it was just talking to them until they broke, but you're right, maybe... Maybe I'm not giving enough credit. Maybe it is an arcane session of the practice. <laughs> and he was willing to go over there and say, I will, and I'm not going to enjoy it, but I will jawbone the Saudis for oil. Really? No one's jawboned anyone since 1814. He made some interesting claims on his trip. He said that Iran
0: threatens the security of nations everywhere. Now, this was met mm. with a range of reactions uh, going from, no, it doesn't. Uh, Does it? Are you sure? And Iran? <laughs> no, you must be thinking of someone else all the way to, I'm sorry, George, what was that you said? It sounded like wolf, wolf, wolf. I think when history judges George W. Bush, it won't be so much as the boy who cried wolf as the man who promoted Wolf the musical and promised us a theatrical extravaganza with a cast of a thousand
1: animatronic dancing robot chickens and (laughs) a specially exhumed Marlon Brando as wolf. He also did even manage to fit in, Andy, a $20 billion arms deal whilst he was over there. And I think you'll find that that's actually in the Rough Guide tourist brochure for the Middle East. Don't leave without sealing a major arms <laughs> deal. You just haven't had the whole experience otherwise. Local food and massive arms deals. That's the local flavour.
0: Well, I guess yeah, it shows that Bush has got more than one string to his political bow. Because as well as bringing peace to the Middle East, he's uh, brought a bit more potential war. As mm-hmm. well, so you've got to balance these things out. I'm sure it, it'll yeah. work. The history, I and mean, in the illustrious history of selling weapons to despotic regimes, it's never backfired. Why oh. would it start now? One interesting side issue that came out of this: that if you trace Bush's route around the Middle East, it makes the shape of the ancient Egyptian hieroglyph for hypocrite. <laughs> And he's coming across as a bit of a political equivalent of Scrooge, John. He's been visited by the ghost of TV documentaries' future and shown a horrific vision of
1: what his legacy will be seen to be. And uh, now he's suddenly started trying to do something about it. It's like a, a slightly twisted version of It's a Wonderful Life, where Clarence the Angel would come down and show Bush the future if he hadn't been in it and then stand awkwardly and went, Sorry about that, it would actually have been a lot better had you never been born. <laughs>
0: Whatever you say about Bush in the Middle East, there is increasingly compelling evidence that his global drive towards democracy is chugging forward. The island of Sark, one of the famous Channel Islands between Britain and France, for those of you who've never heard of it, is to go democratic by the end of the year, ending 443 years of despotism on an island with a population of 600 people. Sark's been under pressure, apparently, from the European Commission on Human Rights... Good to see they're using their time and resources well. Great days for Sark, John.
1: Well, that's... I'm 418 out of the maximum 600 residents voted for democracy. And so that's right. They've waited nearly 450 years and only managed to maintain a 60% turnout. <laughs> This election took nearly 500 years to come around. <laughs> and 40% of them couldn't be bothered to get out of bed. But you know, it is a long way to get to the polling station, seeing as the island is only two square miles. Yeah, but you're not allowed a car, John. The current seigneur, is that how you pronounce it? Seigneur? Let's say it is. Michel Beaumont, who has been in charge for the last 33 years, has not yet made it clear whether he will now be stripped of his remaining feudal rights, those being that he's currently the only person in Sark who can keep pigeons and unspayed female dogs. Listen, Andy. (laughs) If they let him keep pigeons, they haven't finished this revolution properly. It would have been like if the Romanians had let Ceausescu keep himself alive. It's just not (coughs) the same. Also,
0: he has the right to all debris washed up between high and low tides... Is that true? <coughs> he does. Uh, according to no less a source than Wikipedia, this is a right which is, quote, seldom enforced.
1: <laughs> Seldom's not never. <laughs> I would, I'd love him to stage a bloody coup now, Andy. <laughs> or they do a massive civil war. Like you say, there are no cars on the island. He should just buy himself a tank. It could be the smallest dictatorship on the planet.
0: Well, it's interesting you should say there should be a coup, because in 1991, a Frenchman launched a one-man invasion of Sark with a semi-automatic weapon. But it failed and he was arrested after he made the schoolboy military tactical error
1: of sitting on a bench for a while. (laughs) Hold on. It was a one-man invasion. He decided, he got up one morning and thought, I'll invade a nation. Unfortunately, I guess Sark has no oil reserves, so therefore this is not a big story in the world. (laughs) No, exactly. Otherwise, I've got a feeling it would have been quite a big one. Yeah, that's the way the media works. If we have any Sark listeners, which I'm willing to bet we don't, (laughs) but if we do, please do email in and let us know how democracy is going over there. Thanks for listening. This has been great fun. And what was I doing while that episode played out? Mind your goddamn business, buglers. You don't own every part of my life. I was taking a dump. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did
0: you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss lime bikes, Teslas, the London overground